Thank you, worship team. If you have your uh, Bibles, turn to uh, Jonah. We're going to finish up Jonah today. We're looking at the third and fourth verses. But I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about it. If you need a Bible, if you don't have one, raise your hands, and uh, David will make sure you have one so that you can follow along. Uh, we will be moving through, uh, through these passages fairly rapidly this morning. But uh, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to think about what is important to you? I think one of the best ways to think about that in terms of importance is time spent, money spent, uh, what you dwell on, what you think about, what you talk about when you're with your friends. What is important to you? Here's the second question. What's important to God? When we read the Word of God, what do we see that's important to God? What does God tell us is important? And then the third one goes along with these two, is what's important to God important to you? It's very easy to evaluate that because you can say, oh yes, what's important to God is important to me. I, I, I really believe that everything that I see in the Bible is important, but how does it affect your life? And how much does it change your life and what you do and what you focus on and where you give your time and where you give your efforts. And I was looking at the book of Jonah, and I'm sure that that was a real question that came up with it. Jonah was, are the things that were important to God really important to Jonah? I, I hesitate to believe that they were. I think Jonah was a little more caught up with Jonah's desires than God's desires. In fact, I was reading a number of commentaries and different things and, and writings on Jonah in the last couple of weeks, and I came to one individual, and he gave this as an outline for the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah ran from God. And we talked about that, how God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach in this great city, and Jonah went and hopped on a boat and headed the opposite way in the Mediterranean Sea to get as far as he could from where he thought God was. Jonah ran from God. Number two... <laughs> Chapter number two, Jonah ran to God. <laughs> He'd been pitched overboard in that big storm, and a fish came along, and God had prepared that fish, and the fish swallowed Jonah, and he was there for three days, and he began to pray to God. You know, when we pray, it's when we're in the belly of the fish or whatever else we're going through that's kind of a struggle. And so he was down there, and he was praying, and he was running to God. So we come to chapter 3, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He does the thing, very thing that God asked him to do to begin with, and God asked him again, and Jonah was running for God. He was doing the work of God. He was sharing the message that God had for him. But as we come to Jonah chapter 4, it's interesting because Jonah was trying to run God. And I wonder how many times we do that when we pray and say, God, this is what I think you should do, and this is how it should work out, and this is what I think you should be doing for me. And we tend to want to run God. And so we want to go back and look at Jonah chapter 3 and chapter 4 this morning very briefly and just get a picture. There is so much in this passage, and yet uh, I want to share it with you before we go on to our study on Thanksgiving and so let me just start in Jonah chapter 2. This is where Jonah had been in the belly of the fish. And in the 10th verse, it says, The Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. I'm not sure what Jonah looked like at that point. I'm not sure how Jonah smelled at that point. 
a little fishy maybe, but uh, then in verse chapter 3, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. In other words, Jonah, you're my lips, you're my representative. You go to them and you share with them my message. And so Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, uh, three days walk. So it would take him three days to get through. And Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and he said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown and that idea of being overthrown is it's going to be utterly destroyed it's going to be wiped out right down to the foundation it's kind of another Sodom and Gomorrah story that's where Nineveh would be according to Jonah's message it was the message that God had given to him but I think it's interesting because Jonah had already run from God Jonah had been in the belly of the fish and I would say wow who are you going to send now God who are you going to send to Nineveh now and God sent Jonah again. Uh, God is a God of the second chance. Listen to verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And uh, it was the same call as the first time. If you go back to Genesis, or Jonah chapter 1, first three verses, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so in the first chapter, he ran from God, and God came to him a second time. And you know, I, I think, why, why would God call Jonah a second time. Why, why did he want to go to Nineveh at all? Why did God want him to go to Nineveh? What, what was important about Nineveh? Besides the fact it was a huge metropolitan area and there were a lot of people there. Why? They were wicked. Let me give you a couple reasons. Number one, and it didn't have to do with Jonah so much, but God loves people. We can go back to probably the best-known verse in the Bible, and it says, For God so loved the world. It doesn't determine who they are in the world. It just simply says, God so loved the world. He loves humanity. And he sent his only Son that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You go back to the book of uh, first, or Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, and we get a picture of God's love for humanity. And in Second uh, Peter 3, verse 9, uh, it says, For the Lord's not slow about his promise. People were saying, why didn't Jesus come back? It was important that he came back and took them to heaven to be with him. And it says, why didn't he? It says, the Lord's not slow about his promises. Some count slowness. But he's patient towards you. He's not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance and we know that not all are going to come to repentance. You see, there is the determined will of God and there's the desired will of God. The desired will of God is that which God says he would like to see happen, but may not. The determined will of God is what determines will happen. Everything that happens is within his determined will. But there's a desired will of God too, and that is that no one perish, 
that no one walk away from the good news of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is very clear that that's God's will and that's God's desire. And yet it doesn't always work out that way. And so one reason Jonah was to go there was so that Nineveh would hear that if they didn't fall in line with what God said, there would be a judgment, there would be a discipline that would take place. The second reason that I see that God called Jonah instead of calling somebody else was because God loved Jonah. He was rather a rebellious prophet. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do, so he went out to do his own thing. But, man, God started a work within Jonah. And what God does with us when he draws us into a relationship with us is he wants us to continue to grow. We call it that that progressive sanctification, that idea that we're growing, becoming more like Jesus Christ. And in Philippians 1.6, Paul wrote to the Philippian believers, and he made this statement to them. He says, For I am confident, I am assured of this very thing, that he, that is God who began that good work in you, will perfect it. The idea is to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus and uh, I really believe that God was working in Jonah. He was, he was bringing him to the point of being in submission and obedience to the will of God. And you remember the first thing he did was ask Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? Yeah, and so Jonah said, I'm not going to Nineveh. He went across the sea, and do you remember what God threw at him? That wind that's blown outside is a good representative of what he threw. It was a storm. And it hit that boat, and the sailors were Man, they were frightened. And Jonah finally said, I'm the bad guy. I'm the problem. I'm the one that has disobeyed God. And so they threw him overboard. Jonah told him to throw him overboard, and he was swallowed by a fish. Why did God do that? Because he wanted Jonah eaten by a fish? Well, kind of. But he wanted a transformation in Jonah. I really believe that. Until Jonah was in the storm, until he was in the fish, he did not turn to do the will of God. And sometimes it's when we go through our biggest struggles and our biggest trials that we turn to obey God and to be where God wants us to be. And so when I begin to think about why did God call Jonah again, it was because God was refining and working in the life of Jonah. And sometimes he does that with us. We walk away, and God gets a hold of us, and he brings us back. And you look at how Jonah responded, and we go down here. He says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, verse 2, proclaim to to it the proclamation, which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose, and instead of running the opposite direction, he went to Nineveh. Probably a month's travel. It was quite a ways from where Jonah was at that point, where he came up on land. And it was according to the will of God. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city of three days' walk. And uh, Jonah began to go through there. So when we look at it, we look at Jonah's response to God. How did he respond? Why did he respond the way he did? Well, I, I began to think of one thing. I think of parents. Parents that discipline their children periodically because their ch- children disobey. It isn't because they don't love them. It's because we want to put them back on track with where they should be. It's that desire to bring them back into compliance with the will of the family or the will of the parent or whoever it is. And so there's discipline. That's kind of the same thing with Jonah. And when they begin to discipline or follow the parent's will, it's because of love. But you know why else? It's fear. 
I doubt Jonah wanted to go back to the fish. And so rather than disobeying God, he was obedient to God. I'm sure that fear is one of the things that we have, and there should be a healthy fear of our Heavenly Father. But I believe he also probably went out of respect for God. He, uh, I would imagine, had a little bit of a renewed sense of who God was, don't you? Uh, Not very many people have gone through what Jonah went through and experienced that, and, and there would be a change. Do you think Jonah went because of his love for the people of Nineveh? You know, I hear people say that they go to mission because they love the people in that area, or they love the people in a certain town, and they want to go minister there. I don't think that's true of Jonah. I don't think he loved those people at all. He was willing to be obedient to God and do what he wanted, but he wasn't necessarily out of love for the individuals other than we are to love as God calls us to love everyone. I think of pastors. I think of missionaries. I even think of Sunday school teachers and people ministering within the church. And oftentimes they don't take that ministry or go to that church or go to that mission field because they love the people there yet. They go because they believe it's God's will. And they go in obedience to God. And that's really where Jonah was. Now, people that I know who have been on the mission field come back and say, Oh, man, I love the people. They're on furlough. They can hardly wait to get back home to be with their people. Pastors come into a church. I remember when I came here. I came because I believed God wanted me here. We had a handful of people that first Sunday morning, and, and Darlene and I came, and it wasn't that we knew the people yet, but we certainly believed this is where God wanted us. I still believe that. But as time went on, I came to grow to love the people of this church because I got to know them, and I, and I believe that's kind of where it is. And so... Jonah had a second chance. He had a second chance at the same ministry. And you know, God is that God of second chances. And if we blow it periodically in our lives, we mess up and we come back to God. God forgives. You look through the Bible, you find time and time again, there were people that got their second chance. I think back to um, Jacob. Jacob was a grandson of Abraham. And Jacob started out and it says he was a liar. He was a conniver. He stole the the inheritance, basically, of his brother Esau by trickery. He lied to his father, and he ran, and on the way he met God again, and God brought him back, a changed man. He wasn't the same because he's the God of a second chance. David had the same problem. David loved God. David had a heart after God. Man, he wanted to do the things God wanted to do until he reached a point in his probably middle to later part of his life, when he decided not to go to war with all of his army. That's what kings did. It led their people to war. And he got up on the top of a house, and he looked down, and he saw a woman, and he began to lust after her to the point he had a physical relationship with her. She got pregnant. He had her husband killed. And when he finally turned back to God, God forgave. His life was tainted by that. We remember that today. We need to be careful of the decisions we make. But you see, God's this God of a second chance. I I, I think of Peter when he denied Jesus three times. He'd been living with him for two and a half, three years, and all of a sudden Jesus was standing trial, and Peter denied him. and, And when Jesus rose from the dead, 
He met with Peter out on the seaside with some of the other disciples and said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter said, oh, you know I love you. Peter went on because of the forgiveness of Jesus and a few weeks later he stood up and preached a message where 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ and were baptized. Because God's the God of a second chance. And when we fail and we falter, God still swoops in and picks us up and we simply turn in obedience to him and asking forgiveness and he carries on with us. He's helping us to grow and mature and maybe you've gone through some things like that and maybe you're in it today. Maybe you're in a position today where your life isn't exactly where you know God wants it to be. And God's the God of a second chance. He's there for you today. Well, the result of Jonah's obedience, we saw the people turn to, him, to, to God. And we go down to verse 5 of chapter 3. It says, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. <laughs> Man, that is the most amazing statement. They believed what God said he was going to do. And they called a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. It didn't matter how big or how small, how old or how young. They took off their finery and they put on clothing of mourning. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He laid aside the robe from him, covering himself with sackcloth. And he sat in the ashes, hardly the place you would expect to find the king. He issued a proclamation, he said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Don't let them eat. It's a, it's a fast all the way through the city. Do not let them eat or drink water. That both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Put not only on yourself and your family, but also your animals. Let the men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way. And from the violence which is in his hands. In other words, there's got to be a transformation of the individuals in Nineveh because they were known as a wicked, violent people. And then he says in verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent. Some passages make it repent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And there was a transformation in the people there and... They came before God in repentance. And in verse 10, we find out how God responded. It says, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared and He would that he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. He listened to the people. He saw the change. When we confess sin... 1 John 1, 9 is the, is the verse that we still often go for, to for that. But in, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, God's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. And he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's, that's what God does for us. Confession, though, is more than simply saying, I blew it again, God. But it's truly saying the same thing that God does and feeling the same thing that God does about our sin. And God hates our sin. And so we come to con in confession to him and we say, here we are. And for the, for the people of Nineveh, they repented, they put on sackcloth, they fasted, and they demonstrated their repentant spirit. And that's where it has to be. It's a matter of repenting before God. 
coming before God and saying, man, this is where I am. We ask your forgiveness. Now, it says God relented. And it's amazing how many people will read that and they'll say, oh, God changed his mind. How could God do that? God never changes. The thing is, God didn't change his mind. We have to look at who God is to understand what's going on here. Because it isn't that God changed his mind. God acted in accordance with his character qualities. Because he said time and time again, if you repent, I'll forgive. And that's what the people of Nineveh did. And so in response to their repentance, God forgave. And in the same way, when we mess up, and we come to God and we repent, God forgives because that's his nature. That's part of the demonstration of his love to you and I. That's his love for those who know him and and those who don't know him. And so as we come to chapter 4, we see him as he begins to deal. And and boy, you can learn so much about who God is in this book and so much about his sovereignty. But in chapter 4, it it, it really is him dealing with a disgruntled prophet. (laughs) This, This guy that thought God didn't know what he was doing and he did it all wrong. Listen to chapter 4, the first two verses. It says, but it greatly displeased. That word displeased is rather minor. There was anger. There was bitterness within Jonah, according to that word. It says he was greatly greatly displeased, Jonah, and he became angry. And listen to his prayer. I, I think it's an interesting prayer. When it talks about Jonah wanting to run God, this is it. It says he prayed to the Lord, and he said, please, Lord. Was not this what I said while I was still in, the, in my own country? It's kind of an I told you so thing, isn't it? I told you this is what you'd I knew what you would do. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a, listen to this. I read it earlier from two other passages. You are a gracious and compassionate God. You're not looking to destroy You're not looking to punish. You are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in loving kindness. The one who relents concerning calamity. And then he went on in verse 3 and he said, Therefore, O Lord, please take my life. I want to die. For death is better to me than life. And the Lord said to him, Do you really have good reason to be angry, Jonah? I think it was kind of like Jonah was saying, you blew it, God. You messed up so bad. God talked about who he was, and I read it earlier in Exodus chapter 34. When he was talking with Moses, he met him on the mountain, and it says, the Lord, the Lord God, the self-existent, all-powerful one who is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness and truth. And he keeps the loving kindness to the thousands. And he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. And so, uh, here's Jonah. And he hated these people. And he didn't want God to find favor with them. And he said, I know that this is what you're going to do. I, I, I just shouldn't have come. It isn't right. God, you blew it. Let me ask you something. Do you have anybody or any group of people and you feel like that about them? 
Oh, Lord, if you come, they're going to repent. And you know what? I'm going to have to spend eternity within heaven and with them. You know, I can't stand to see them on earth. I don't want to see them in heaven. That's kind of when we have that same attitude of Jonah. We aren't seeing people as God sees them. We don't have the same priorities that God has. What would you do if you saw an entire city turn to God? We're told that Nineveh was probably about 600,000 people. It says there were probably about 120,000 that didn't know the right hand from the left. So they were probably somewhere around six or seven. There were little ones that didn't know that. Now, when I went in the army, I found out there were a lot of older guys that didn't know the right from the left either. We call it the military right and military left, so they got it down. But, you know, here, here were all of these people, 600,000 people, and they confessed, they repented, they came to God. And Jonah was distraught over that. He was displeased. He was angry. If you went out to Brentwood, if our church went out to Brentwood and we began to really hit it hard and we told Brentwood what the ultimate conviction would be if they're lost and we shared the good news in all of Brentwood. Let's, let's say, let's stretch it out to the other side of Pittsburgh, to Bay Point, and you run it out to Discovery Bay and Bethel Island and out to Knightson and, and all of that population turned to God at once. What would you do? Well, I don't know about you. I'd be ecstatic to think that I was part of that and I saw that happen. I'd be ecstatic. And yet here's Jonah. And he was anything but ecstatic. He was angry. In verse 3, he says, I just want to die. And in verse 4, you saw God's response as he Responded, he said, do you have any reason to be angry? And so God wanted him to get the picture. It, it's amazing how Jonah's life fluctuates best based on his circumstances and his emotions. It isn't based on his relationship with God. It's based on his feelings and how he feels about what's taking place and what isn't taking place. And so God began to deal with his pouting prophet and beginning in verse 5, it says, Then the people of Nineveh believed... Oh, get the right chapter. Then Jonah went out from the city, and he, and, he, and he went out and sat east of it. He sat up on a hill. He made a little shelter for himself, and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what was going to happen in the city. I think Jonah was probably wondering if the Ninevites only made a profession of faith by lip service only, because, you know, a lot of people don't change. They... You think they're going to change, and they don't change. They're the same people because it's never been a real conviction. It's kind of like they say a leopard can't change his spots. It's, it's the idea that these people of Nineveh, they would probably still be the same angry, bitter person. And so Jonah went up there to see what would happen to the city. Would God, after 40 days, wipe it out? And so the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade and I read about that plant, kind of like maybe a vine. It would have these huge leaves on it that would give shade over his head. And it came up overnight. It was a miraculous plant. And it was given to give shade over his head and deliver him from the discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Wow, he went from being angry and wanted to die to being happy about this little plant. How many of you have a plant at home you're really happy about? 
well, one or two or three, okay, you, you have a few plants there that you like. I, I have some plants at home I like. Jonah was extremely happy about the plant, but God appointed a worm. How many of you like worms that eat your tomatoes? Oh, yeah, you can hear them when you go out there, those big green ones. He appointed a worm, and when dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant, and it withered. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint, and he begged with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. He went from being wanting to die to being happy because he had a plant to being hot and his head burning, and he said, I want to die. I, uh, I think about Jonah's life. Jonah didn't want to go the first time that God called him, and he ran, and God sent a storm. Out of the storm, he sent a fish that swallowed Jonah. And we hear a lot about the storm. We hear about a lot about the fish. They were miraculous. But I'm going to tell you something. The plant and the worm were also miraculous. And we don't hear about that so much. But they were still the miracle of God, and he was getting the attention of Jonah. We aren't even looking at the people of Nineveh anymore. We're looking at Jonah. And how God dealt with him and how God might deal with you and I when we're maybe out of the will of God. We're not going the, the direction God wants us to go. And I would have thought that God would have really gotten Jonah's attention by the time he sent a storm, a fish, a plant, a worm, and an east wind. And Jonah still says, I'm angry. I'm depressed. You know, we deal with depression sometimes because of our circumstances and what's going on in our life. And Jonah wanted to die. And I want you to see the lesson that God gave Jonah. Beginning in verse, going back to verse 9 and 10. God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry at the plant? About the plant? And he said, I have a good reason to be angry even unto death. That this great plant died And then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. You were so caught up with this little plant should I not have compassion on Nineveh, Jonah, the great city which there are more than 120,000 young children who don't know the difference between their right and the left as well as many animals because God loved the animals too. What's important to you? It's the question I asked earlier. What's important to you? The plant became important to Jonah. Seeing the Ninevites destroyed was important to Jonah. What's important to God? Certainly the people of Nineveh were. Jonah, the disobedient prophet, was. God loves people. He loves you. God's desire for you is to be in obedience with his will and willing to do that which he desires God loves people. 
He wants to see people come to know him. It says he's not willing that any should perish. You know, when, uh, when I go to heaven, and I will someday, I believe, when I go to heaven, I'm going to have a great time worshiping God. I'm going to listen to the uh, angels, the cherubim and the seraphim, and they're going to be calling back and forth, holy, 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 just as they did in the book of Isaiah. And, and I'm going to be amazed at that for eternity. Wow, to be in the presence of God. And then the new heaven and new earth and all God gives to it. It's amazing. When I get to heaven, I'm going to worship. When I get to heaven, I'm going to fellowship. I hope you're all there with me. And we're going to have a great time looking and talking to Jesus and to the disciples and fellowshipping together and just being there to share together. That is going to be such a good time. When I get to heaven, my guess is I'll minister. I'll have some service. We know that when God created the Garden of Eden and he's going to create the new heaven and new earth and the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve were placed in the garden to cultivate and take care of the garden. They had a job. They were to serve. They were to work. I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to have jobs. We're not just going to sit around, play harps, and hop from one cloud to the next. So we're going to serve. And you know what? I certainly don't know everything today. But I'll tell you, when I get to heaven, what I don't know, God's going to begin to teach me. I don't think I'll ever be omniscient. But I'm going to have a chance to learn all those things that we're to do here on earth, I can do. The only thing I'm not going to do in terms of that eternal destiny in heaven is share with people that aren't ready to go. I won't sin there either. But I won't evangelize. And I would imagine when I get to heaven, there are people that are going to get there or that aren't going to be there. And I'm going to look around and I'm going to, I'm going to just kind of give you an idea of how I might see it. I don't know that it's true or not, but I'm going to look around and say, man, I don't see his face. I don't see her. Oh, I wish I would have shared a little more. Because God called me to be a witness. God called me to make a difference. And I get to heaven. That's what I'm not going to do. Why did, why did God want Jonah to go to Nineveh? To reach the people. And God worked with Jonah to change Jonah. And God does the very same thing for us. What's important to you? It's important to me. But what's important to God? I heard what I read not too long ago. Somebody told me we spend, we, we kiss our dogs more than we kiss our spouses. Some people do. Animals are important. It says here that animals are important, but listen to me. They are not created in the image of God. They do not have a spirit and a soul as you and I. We're responsible to care for them. But the greater responsibility is to reach people for Jesus. That should be our goal. That was what God had to teach Jonah. Now, did Jonah ever learn? It doesn't say. Kind of stopped short there in the book. But I think he did. Because he wrote the book. We're told that Jonah was the author. And so he must have had a change 
in his relationship with the people. He may have gone down into those streets and spent time with them after a while and built relationships, but God wants us to do that. So go home. Think about this today. What's important to me? What's important to God? And is what's important to God, according to the Bible, really important to me? Let's pray, shall we? Father, that's a, that's a hard question. I, I don't have a total answer for that for myself. I'm afraid that in a lot of ways I fail there because I get so caught up with the things of this world. Not to love the things of the world. But yet, it's so easy to get caught up with the things that are here. And so I pray for all of us that we would take a second to look and realize that you're the God of a second chance. If we've slipped and fallen and we feel we're disqualified, that's not true. But help us to catch a vision for what you want us to do, Father. For what's important. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to just go through this little book. Jonah's a great book, Father, and it tells us so much about you. Thank you. I pray for each individual here this morning that you might bless them, encourage them, be with them as they go out from here, and uh, might they be used by you joyfully in some way this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.